0: You're listening to The Pandemic Podcast, where we equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Botker, and once again, I'm joined with my one good friend, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health. And Dr. Mark Kissler is unavailable. Once again, he is fully on board at the hospital doing a lot of great work. And we'll hear from him from a recording in just a second. But how's it going, Steven? Hey, Matt. It's good to see you. Things are going okay over here. How are you? Good, good. My life is... Uh, busy uh, in very different ways. You are busy in a whole other reality. Sounds like a lot more interviews going on, right? Yep. That's right. A whole different reality is exactly what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. I don't think this is going to let down anytime soon, Steven. No. I, I feel like it's going to keep going. Uh, I asked him and we'll see if we can get some. He's having a, a number of interviews uh, that I'm aware of. I've only seen one from a long time ago and asked him if he can he can curate a list of those uh, that he's, he's, he's been on that we could maybe put in the show notes or some place by which, if you want to check it out, they can see all the good stuff that Stephen is saying. Okay, got one thing to preface before we get going here: uh, I didn't, I failed to mention this on Monday. Again, reviews are so helpful. If you can, if you can spare a minute, uh, leave a rating. Uh, if you have two minutes on hand, then actually say a few words. That'd be great on iTunes. So greatly appreciate it. Helps us a lot. Um, also, we are still struggling, and 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 would love some help. If you have the resources to help us get the equipment that we need, uh, you can do this by giving a monthly, small monthly donation as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. I'll put that in the show notes. Or I've had a number of people request maybe not giving monthly because it seems kind of a recurring thing and it's kind of hard to put in the budget. Just a one-time gift. You can do that easily through Venmo or PayPal. You can do that at Matt Botker on Venmo. So M-A-T-T-B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R or at PayPal.me. Slash Matt Botker, M-A-T-T-B-O-E-T-T-G-R, if you just feel like you want to give a one-time uh, generous gift to help us get all the equipment uh, going and to find some editing resources, we greatly appreciate it. That's the big stuff. So uh, before we get going, Steve and I have a lot to chat about. we got some fun stuff to chat about, so hang on there. Hang on tight. But man, I miss Mark. Steve miss Mark. We haven't heard his voice in a while. <laughs> Good news is he's still alive, and I even have proof this time, like literally proof. Stephen had the proof of checking in with his wife on Monday. But this is the real deal. I got a recording from him this morning from the hospital. What's going on? So I want to play this right now to give you about a five-minute uh, update on what's going on in Mark's life. Let's hear from him right this very second.
1: Hey, Steven and Matt, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, headed into the hospital now for the last day in this stretch. Um, you know, things have been going generally pretty well. We have a couple of teams in the hospital dedicated to care of COVID patients. Um, and uh, so i've been on one of those teams for the course of this week and it's been an opportunity to really spend a lot of time sort of doing a, a deep dive on this illness and seeing um, how we're treating it right now in the hospitals um, you know, there's so much involved in the care of any hospitalized patient um, and these folks are no exception and I'm definitely super grateful to work in a in a place where we have support from not just nurses but also physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, social work, case management, care coordinators that this multidisciplinary team is really, really important because the needs um, you know extend beyond just the the respiratory illness but also to things like, uh, safe and secure housing and, um, you know, finances and rehabilitation after ICU stays. And so there's just a, a um, tremendous amount of teamwork that goes on, um, and it's really great to be a part of that team. Uh, from a purely medical standpoint, it's kind of a, it's, you know, as we've talked about, it's just such an unprecedented time, um, and it's very rare for a big group of physicians to be encountering A new disease process kind of all together. Um, And so there, it creates a lot of conversation, um, a lot of uh, comparisons of cases, a lot of going back to the evidence as we're working out best practices about this disease process. And of course, there's precedent for it um, in terms of that, you know, this is a respiratory illness and we've seen respiratory illnesses before, but it's the nuances for the subtleties. You know, what are the clues um, and what are the ways that this really differs? There are a couple, you know, very, key ways that this differs from some of the viral respiratory illnesses that we're used to seeing. Uh, Some of those have been in the popular press as well. We definitely see a lot um, of elevated inflammatory markers, so this signs that the body's immune system is just revved way up um, in working to get rid of this infection. Um, We're also seeming to see a higher incidence of, uh, of venous thrombosis, so clotting um, and kidney disease in the, in the setting of this, especially in severe cases. Um, and it's been, you know, similar to kind of the multidisciplinary, uh, aspects. There's just been a lot of cross communication between the ICUs and the floor teams and the the ER and kind of as everybody's, uh, coming up with best practices and enacting those in real time. so testing has, was one of the big themes that we had, especially early on and the last time I was in the hospital. Uh, testing is... Rapidly improved, um, and so now we have, uh, in-house testing capability that turns around in a matter of hours, um, whereas before we had been waiting, uh, several days sometimes for test results early in the pandemic. And that really is a game changer in terms of our ability to appropriately triage patients and get them the treatments that they need. Um, so that's been very good. You know, we'll see, I, it, there's, always talk about antibody testing and you know what that's going to look like and and how if it can be clinically actionable or useful so we'll see that still seems you know kind of in the future um, and we had an interesting grand rounds yesterday um so a big conference where there were immunologists both from our institution uh, and uh, from outside institutions who were talking about sort of the, the process of vaccine development what that looks like um, the timeline and things like that and so um, you know, not a whole lot new to report from that front, um, except for that there are a lot of people working very hard on it, um, though it may still be a while before we have a usable vaccine and, and sort of a safe way to achieve herd immunity here. So I think the biggest thing on the horizon now is reopening. Um, and we'll see, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that um, everybody is really careful, um, but also just recognize kind of the need to get back um, on a certain level to business, not as usual. I don't think we'll ever quite get back to, you know, exactly the same as things were before this, but, um, to, you know, to start getting back to regular life. And so, um, you know, I don't have a lot of control over what happens. We'll see, you know, I anticipate that the hospitals will start taking on some more elective procedures and starting to, you know, gradually scale up their operations as well as the general public on the outside. Um, and we'll just keep very vigilant and keep working hard and, um, and everybody stay safe. So I uh, hope to talk to you guys soon and uh, have a great, great rest of your day. Alrighty. Bye.
0: All right. That was from Stephen. I mean, sorry, Stephen. That's Mark. They're brothers. I get them confused. They're not twins. <laughs> it's, hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. They're both in this industry. Uh, I'm glad he had some time. Uh, we had some time to be able to put him in and hear what's going on. Uh, sounds like this is last week. Hopefully we'll hear from him back again tomorrow in live uh, here on the podcast. Uh, so, Here's a few things I want to get started with. So as you know, on Monday's episode, we really kind of focused on building this case that uh, this lockdown is uh, really important and it's necessary and uh, that we really need to focus on living in the real. And that means really trying to rely on science and not allowing these like red herrings or these appeals to authority or just making it political. And that's our job here on this, this podcast. Our job is to do the most we can to make this real. We're not being influenced by anything, any political party. We're just trying to be sober and do the best we can with what information that comes. And as Steven has chimed in many, many times, that information changes often since this is a new new virus. So I want to create the case once again. And this time I want to land the plane and, and go in a deep dive on this area of lockdowns. Is it really worth it? And is it the right thing to do? So I want to set the stage right now before I hand over to Stephen, just so we understand that this is not a conspiracy theory. That 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 this COVID, this coronavirus, is highly transmissible. We know this for a fact. It's infecting a lot of people. We know from twenty-five to sixty percent of people um, are going around um, and uh, with 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 no symptoms whatsoever and uh, infecting other people. And that this idea. That uh, uh, that because I, I read this on a Facebook post, I think a couple of days ago, that uh, as if it was trying to uh, thwart the idea of a lockdown, that uh, clearly the the real infections are are just way larger than what we actually seen in confirmations, and that isn't new news. From the very beginning that we started this nineteen episodes ago, Stephen was very clear that uh, the the number of actual real transmissions versus the confirmations is just orders of magnitude. Greater. But that has nothing to do with the lockdown. So then so I just want to clear that 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 is not an argument with the lockdown. The the reason why that we had lockdown once again is because we have we would have overwhelmed hospitals like we saw in Italy, like we were seeing in New York City and elsewhere. So this is the main reason for the lockdown. So then the question now comes, and this is where I want to now focus on this on this episode. We're seeing uh, a lot of information come out on so in one side of the spectrum, South Dakota. And uh, an article about the cases skyrocketing. So why do I bring up South Dakota? For those of you who don't know, that's one of the states that's doing really nothing, right? No no lockdown. So it's a great experiment in some sense, maybe a, a devastating experiment, but an experiment to see what happens when you don't do a lockdown. And from what I saw, and I want to put this back in Steven in a few minutes, uh, that we're seeing a, a really strong increase of confirmations in cases of coronavirus in South Dakota. On the other side, so we got this question from uh, a Brit from Denver uh so he said that I could say his name. Uh that he, would, he he got this on Patreon. He sent me a message just asking, hey, he's hearing a lot about Sweden and the approach that they're, they're doing in the pandemic, which if you don't know, it's just it's again, it's another kind of experiment. There is no uh lockdown. There there is very little being done. There is a desire to protect those who are vulnerable. Um, but that's about it. So they're this great experiment of what's going on and we're hearing back and forth and hearing something, that, oh, the things are going way uh, really well. I just saw an article yesterday saying, hey, we're two weeks maybe away from or a few weeks away from a, a herd immunity and everything is just daisy and good. And I want to throw the question, is Sweden the, the example that says that the lockdown is actually the wrong way to go? So we have South Dakota. Uh, that seems like uh, cases are skyrocketing. That's where that meat processing plant is, of like hundreds of people infected. We have Sweden on the other side of the spectrum, uh, and then you have articles coming out. and I really want uh, Stephen to to talk about this before hand over to him as well. I read this. Stephen looked it over. I'll put in the show notes. And it's basically lockdowns don't work from the public discourse And a pretty decently long article showing looking at France, looking at Italy, uh, looking at China, uh, and, and and proposing that uh, when the lockdown started that when you saw the cases begin to decline, that those cases were too early for the lockdown to actually have made any impact. Thus, the basic conclusion is that the decline in cases had more to do with something outside of the lockdown and not the lockdown itself. So I'm gonna throw it to you, Stephen. what is going on? Like, is a lockdown necessary in your perspective? And what are these cases with Sweden, uh, South Dakota, and particularly looking at this public discourse article, Lockdowns Don't Work? Yeah, so yeah, thanks, Matt. There's, there's a lot to unpack here, I think.
2: And, you know, I think I want to preface everything by saying that it's really important to continue evaluating our decisions as this epidemic continues and, and raising these questions of like, are these lockdowns, you know, effective and working. Um I think it's really dangerous to just sort of become entrenched on one side or the other and then just sort of start shouting and saying that like, no, this 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 works, this must work. And and that's a really easy thing to do, right? Because it, the much harder thing is to sort of continually go back to the evidence and have have some ability to, you know, evaluate, you know, to what extent they do work and what does it mean to work? And and under what time scales do they work and these sorts of things. And it 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 takes, you know, it takes some time and it takes some real thought to work into these things. So yeah. So let's dive in. So maybe first I'll talk about the examples of well of, of Sweden, for example. Yeah. So I actually have a good friend who's living in Stockholm right now, and I'm, I'm hoping to catch up with him soon. Yeah. And he was, he was talking about sort of how surreal it is that like, you know, it, it doesn't seem like Sweden has like sort of, you know, they haven't taken these like very clear, direct measures of lockdown that many other European countries have. But he's he's not going to work. And many people are not. They're, they're sort of choosing to stay home various countries have taken different levels of severity to lockdown. But there's also a big question as to like, what 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 are people actually doing? There's evidence that people started staying home, started limiting their social engagements, you know, days and weeks before the actual formal lockdown came about. And all of these would have contributed to slowing down transmission before the lockdown actually occurred. And there's a good chance that the fact that the lockdown was coming actually helped people realize that that was something that they needed to do. So you know, attributing a lockdown to a specific date and a specific severity, I think puts too much emphasis on the government and too little emphasis on those of us who are actually doing the work of, of preventing the spread of disease and modulating our behavior to try to prevent that spread. Now, a lot of people have been saying too about like Sweden's you know, approach. And like the the fact is like cases in Sweden are also going up pretty quickly right now as well. You know, I I, I sent Matt a, a figure from some European CDC data and comparing Sweden with um, some of its Scandinavian neighbors. And Sweden's population size is about twice as big as Denmark and Finland and Norway. So we do expect the total raw number of cases to be somewhat higher. But even when you account for that, the rise seems to be more steeper and seems to be going up, even if it sort of like stops and starts a little bit. There's sort of been this pretty clear upward trend in cases that hasn't been seen in some of these other
0: countries. Yeah, when um, you said that to me, that was shocking, like when I saw that graph. So we'll put that in the show notes as well, the best we can, is you can take a look at yourself. So yeah, yeah go ahead. Absolutely. And so it, there there are a lot of circumstances.
2: I mean, since an epidemic is is a thing that spreads locally, right? It can look like something is working for a while until it doesn't. You know, and we're starting to see resurgences of cases, even in you know in Singapore, a place that like has had you know absolute like some of the best control over this epidemic from the very beginning, and that's that's just the nature of this thing, right? It doesn't it, you don't know when it's going to hit, and part of the reason for a lockdown is, is so that we can prevent cases from really skyrocketing and getting out of control. So. That's one place to start. So Matt, you sent me this article and there are a couple things I'd like to point out from here and sort of pick out. So I think it, this was definitely a really interesting and thought-provoking article. It was, I I took a lot of issue with a number of the claims that I think were not very well supported. And I think that articles like this are, are, are tricky because they, you know... They do point to evidence, but I think that the evidence base that they're pointing to is rather selective. And that's not to say that it's 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 wrong, but I think that there are, there are reasons to call you know as as with any evidence based analysis, you have to call into question the evidence that's being analyzed and how that evidence is being analyzed and whether there might be other explanations for what's going on.
0: It's like when uh, Mark was talking about
2: how well it has numbers in it, so right. it's got to be right, right? Exactly, <laughs> so, so. exactly, right. Yeah. And I think this is exactly another one of those scenarios, right? Yeah. So. First of all, so the article is titled Lockdowns Don't Work, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's already I mean and and it's pretty clear that the second paragraph it starts with Lockdowns Don't Work. The second is that simple sentence is enough to ignite a firestorm of controversy these days. So so clearly it's like trying to to get people to to pay attention to this, right? Yeah. But but that is the claim that they that they're trying to trying to advance here, which is basically saying that there's no evidence of lockdowns working. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to sort of address that claim and then also Another thing that they address is like, well, why, why should we be, you know, trying to provide evidence that lockdowns don't work? You know, we should be providing evidence that lockdowns do work. I think there's a lot of evidence for both. And I want to just pick out a couple of things here. So First of all, the the article is very careful to explain what they mean by lockdowns, and they mean very specifically. Um, here, it seems to be the shutting of businesses seems to constitute yeah. a lockdown. They they separate out the closing of schools. They separate out travel restrictions. They say none of those things constitute a lockdown. I don't know how exactly they, they came to this fact of like shutting businesses constitutes a lockdown, but sure. essentially that's that's what we're talking about here, and and essentially asking people to remain at home. Now, lockdowns mean a very different thing from country to country. Where in China, you know people were actually by law required to stay home. That's a very rare thing here in the United States. And I would argue that there's really nothing that we've done in the United States that actually constitutes a lockdown under the, under the definition that was proposed by this article. Okay. So there's that as well. And then, it, and so I think it just sort of some of the claims that were brought up throughout. So I think one of the most interesting ones is is the the evidence that they brought up that travel bans work. There was a link to an article, and it was a editorial article talking about American Samoa in the 1918 flu pandemic. Right. So American Samoa is a remote island, like a Pacific island, <laughs> where 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 yes, travel bans do work because their population is not very well connected to the rest of the world, and and travel mm-hmm. bans do work when you're a small island in the Pacific. Travel bans don't work when you're the number one economy in the world, and you have people coming in, you know, all the time. So like, yeah. we do know there's a much, there's a very strong evidence base in the scientific literature that says that travel bans do help to slow down the introduction of new cases of disease, but that they don't end up lowering the overall number of people who become infected at least in 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 a modern industrialized country and that's that's like very clearly established but it was nowhere mentioned here in the article so and and so i think that there there's some difficulties here where you know they're absolutely right that it's not just a lockdown that helps there are a lot of things in addition to a lockdown that help and it's true that that maybe going forward maybe some of the things some of the measures that we took were too severe right and the problem is we're never going to know that for sure but um as mark was saying on one of these early episodes we need to risk the look the risk looking yeah. a little bit foolish and even risk to some extent some some harm and some sacrifice on ourselves and, and this again i'm like you know people are really suffering right now right unemployment skyrocketed again last week like that is not a small thing yeah. you know so so these these decisions do have a huge amount of weight and there needs to be room for these sorts of criticisms but the point is that you know we're doing these lockdowns for a period of time until we can get these things under control and as far as i can tell it it has been really necessary to do exactly that. It may be again in the future. And I think that, you know, we'll have to continue to evaluate what we're doing. But, but there, there is overwhelming evidence that lockdowns do contribute to slowing down the spread of infection. And I think that, that it's really hard to ignore that at this point.
0: That's great. That helps a lot. I mean, th- this is my intuition. And again, I want to be the same thing. Just as you were saying, Stephen, I don't want to sit on one camp and just preach from everyone and scream everybody. And then when they're outside, condemn them to some terrible place. That's not what I want to do. I want to look at the evidence and make the best decision. And honestly, if I didn't have you, Stephen and Mark, I don't know where I would be. I'd probably be like mentally exhausted now here. It's like, oh crap, now they don't work. So now I'm now I'm out like throwing parties or something. I don't right. know what I'm doing. I don't know what i do without you guys. But right. It's helpful to have this podcast to bring some sobriety in the mix of all of these competing ideas, and they're good. I'm glad they exist, right? But at the same time, all we're trying to do is make sure that we do our best to straddle this really uncomfortable like, fence post of like like really living that real life of looking at the data and making the best decision, which of course can change and does change. As more things come out with France and we see what they're doing, we might have more, more, more information, Italy, ourselves, other countries, whatever it may be uh two years from now we're gonna have probably a very different look at, at at the coronavirus as it is right at this very day right but we're doing the best we can with which what data comes out so um in light of that just a reminder that this is a big deal right in the sense that we mentioned last week that what flu, what what the flu takes in a year to do right in a year in in, in a bad year by the way not um steven mentioned a mild year uh, and that would love the mondays and that was in the context of one week. Of, of coronavirus, right? So, in in a bad year, um, what the flu does in a year, uh, c- uh, coronavirus has done in just under two months, just under two months. So this this really is something that it that spreads really rapidly. You know, I, that article you sent me, and I can put in the show notes as well, Stephen, that mentioned some of the problems of Sweden going on and just the 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 scare of the nursing homes uh, and those things who who are being treated without any masks, any gloves. Uh, it, it, I, I, maybe it's not happening in every nursing home in Sweden, but at least in some. Right. Uh, and, and the fear of this uh, th- this explosion of potential risks to the elderly, uh, because it you, it's just like uh, Stephen mentioned and Mark mentioned earlier, this idea of a surgical approach is a great idea, but but it seems to have incredibly difficult uh, difficulty in implementation. Right. Uh, and we're seeing this in Sweden with, of course, um, these caretakers, right? The people who, who, who go back to their homes and with their families and they have school children going to school. And it, it's just like, six degrees you know it's probably not able to get to like three degrees or two degrees to coronavirus right? right um it's difficult right it's very difficult so uh it is a big thing and we we saw that just last week that coronavirus death per million is higher than any other cause of death so please this is not a conspiracy theory this is not a political issue it's grounded in science and it's really hard and I get it when it gets really hard, we start looking, we start searching for confirmation bias to try to appeal like, I need my job back. I need some kind of security. So we look at anything that can confirm our desire to be free again. That is a human response, right? That is a complete human response. It is totally, but we have to do our best to fight the confirmation bias. And it's only going to get stronger when the sacrifices become greater, which we have to dig deep. And when we dig deep, it requires a principle of what? Solidarity. And we've got to stay together. If we divide ourselves too much, it's gonna be a very difficult road. And my fear, and I think Stephen's fear, is <laughs> by people going out a little too soon and becoming too, uh, you know, just uh, liberal in their uh, hanging out with people, we're gonna find ourselves in another difficult situation and, and and greater risk involved. Okay, so before we close out, I just wanted to mention that go deep in this idea that we do believe that the lockdown is the most important thing that we can do at this point in time. I know that that the Colorado, and I didn't know what your thoughts on Colorado. We're kind of reopening on twenty six. It's 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 kind of hard to say reopening. Um, have you thought, have you seen that in much of what, what Colorado is doing? And what do you think about what Governor Polis is, his kind of uh, um, a slow uh, transition? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it absolutely sends the right message and that's, that's the crucial thing is to send the right message from, you know, uh, whenever possible, especially from points of leadership. And I think that, you know, like you said, it's, it's like a reopening, but it's, it's a certain type of reopening, right? Like, like gyms are not going to be open and there are going to be restrictions around certain restaurants and these sorts of things, and it's going to be gradual. And that's exactly what we need, right? We, We do need people to get back to work, right? People's livelihoods are at risk right now, but we need to do it carefully and in a measured way. And, and I think that that's just a very realistic approach. I think that, you know, again, like I was saying earlier, the, the, the government actually also only has like a limited, a limited purview in this area where, you know, someone could say, you know, all right, we're, we're open again, but like, I'm not going to start going about my normal day-to-day life, you know, sure. like I normally would beforehand. And people stopped, you know, started changing their behavior long before these for, these sort of formal decisions were made. So I think even practically speaking, like things are going to look different. People will modulate their behavior in response to this thing. And I think that's just an important reality to keep in mind. And it seems like one that, that you know, Governor Polis has has, has sort of echoed um, and has been very realistic about, which I really appreciate. And so I I, I was encouraged by that. Good.
0: Yeah, I, I really appreciate what he's been doing. I think he's been a great leader here and just been just been been great to watch him lead the state. So we want to end with this. This has been on my mind like crazy the past three to four days. It's shifted my whole mindset on, on a number of things. I want to share this with you. Uh off the recording, I shared it with Steven and we got some energy behind it. And so what we were going to do is I read this article called The Legacy of the Pandemic: Eleven Ways It Will Change the Way We Live. I thought this was insightful. I really want to go through all 11. We're not going to do that today. I think we might do that next Thursday. We have a very special guest coming on Monday to interview. It is my sister. You're thinking, so I am super excited. She is a marriage uh, family counselor. She's been that for a long time. She has an incredible amount of experience. I love talking with her about this stuff because she has insights that blow my mind a lot of the time. So uh, I thought, man, we need to get her in front of the mic. And so that will be Monday. So on Thursday we might come back and circle back on these eleven or at least ten of the eleven. But there's one I want to focus on. I want to share with you and I want to talk about talk about this with Stephen. And hopefully this will be good good information about you. So of these eleven, there was one that, that talked about how how saving will become the new spending basically, right? This idea that before the, the, the virus, that we were spending at a quite decent rate and we were going out in luxurious restaurants. And uh, I, w- I would dare ask our listeners, <laughs> what, what does your emergency savings look like before, right? Before the fall, and, and you don't wanna know mine. It's, I think it's like 33 cents. Uh, nothing else. so, so my, so if anything bad happens, I can go to a gumball machine and, uh, split it with my three kids. So, uh, so now things are changing, right? That, uh, this idea of saving is becoming at the forefront of my mind for the next reality. And so this became a trickle down effect. I'm like, okay, for those of you who don't know about this idea of like lean manufacturing and lean principles, I've been obsessed about this for years now, and it didn't really take until a pandemic to realize, uh go deeper in this concept. So what does lean manufacturing principles come from? Well, it comes kind of from Toyota, uh, but Toyota got it from actually from America. Uh, they are the ones who really applied it in a profound way. And that's why they've been so successful. It's all about reducing waste. And they have these, I think it's seven types of waste that they try to reduce in their in, in their plant. Uh, so they can be more efficient, but also more effective as well. That, that, that They really reduce the amount of error that's, that's been coming down the assembly line to, to create more cars. So of course, that's less money that's being wasted. So they have a whole, series of this and so it's really about becoming lean and reduce waste and i began be the shift like oh my gosh how do you deal with like a lean concept which is just all over the map in business in the us in light of a, a pandemic right because when you think of lean you're thinking like i got nothing they like, literally it's kind of like you don't have any inventory that you that as you get resources as you need resources you get them in so there's no storage of of, of, of any kind of inventory so you're thinking of course in light of a pandemic oh my gosh how can you sustain this so I've been kind of going the crisis in my own self, like, okay, should I abandon lean principles? And I don't actually think the question is, I don't think the answer is yes. And what I've been shifting is this idea of, okay, I believe that we need to be lean, we need to be reducing waste, but we need to understand what it means to actually reduce the waste. For example, um, you know, I'm thinking about our own house, like, oh, you know, how do we shore up to do that which actually brings about the greatest impact to keep us safe and healthy. By reducing the waste that actually we we might be doing, but has such a marginal advantage that it actually brings more exhaustion than benefit, right? That's a good, healthy way of reducing waste. And then I'm blowing up on this, and then I'm going to throw it to Steven and let him riff for a little bit. And then I talk about the government. This is changing my concept, and I know some of you will disagree, but... I think lean principles are really important. I think hospitals should go by lean principles not to become like efficient so that they ignore the the patient in front of them and just treat them as some kind of other ticket or a line item, but they need to become more effective, more efficient so that they can invest more time with their patients to be more valuable to their patients and get rid of the waste that actually prevents them from actually being effective and attentive to those patients in front of them. So, you know, of course you're thinking the next pandemic, oh my gosh, like we should create hospitals that have a thousand beds each and then they'll all be empty, but we'll be ready for the next pandemic. That is utter waste. So this is why I thought about the government. Like, Well, this is the government's responsibility. We can't treat the government like a normal business and lean it up and make it lean and streamline. For me personally, it needs some sense of redundancy because that allows me as a business owner to be more lean. To actually have a place which that in a dark time that normally 99% of the time would be okay, but that 1% of the time where I need help, there'll be assistance, right? That hospitals don't have to create huge hospitals, but there's a government who supplies and maybe has redundancy and hoards, so to speak, beds and ventilators and they're stocked so that when a hospital is all of a sudden being overrun, there is a plan in place that is lean, meaning they don't have another hospital that costs billions of dollars, but they just take over three, five, seven. Um, hotels, get all the beds they need from the government and ventilators, and and we're going in a matter of a week, right? So this whole idea of this lean principle, I think, is important to think about, in particular in light of the government. Your thoughts, Stephen? Yeah, I really like that. And I think
2: that, you know, the that certainly like reducing waste in our lives has has a role at every level from the personal to the community to the international, right? Because all of these things are, well, they're so intertwined as well. And so the extent to which we're able to do these sorts of things on a personal level Will echo you know upward as well, so as uh, as you are talking, so one of the things that this made me think about is another principle that I think is very related can seem to be at odds, but but I think there 's actually a sort of a deep synthesis here as well And it 's the principle of anti fragility, <laughs> so if you are anti fragile, that means that you 're sort of resilient to breaking right and and often one of the principles of anti fragility includes the sense of redundancy that you 're talking about so um, one of the examples that I like to give is you know keeping a key underneath your doormat, something like that because if you only have one key to your house and you misplace it. Then, you know, your life is in chaos all of a sudden. But if you have one stored away in a place that you can easily access, then, you know, that, that allows you to take an event that would have turned your life upside down for at least some period of time and to spring back from it, right? You're no longer as fragile as you once were. And I think that that's a really important principle. But the, the key thing is, you know, we, we could try to also apply anti-fragility to every part of our lives. And and I like (laughs) the example you gave where, you know, right? you, you try to stock up on three lawnmowers so that in case one sure. fails, you know, you're still able to mow your lawn. It's like, well, you know, sure, that's anti-fragile in a sense, but that's also not very lean. No, not at all. And so like the question is like, how do we, how do we bring these things together? And I think that, that really what this comes down to is, is as so many things do is just knowing who we are. Like knowing what our role is, and and, it, and the reason for that is so both we we need to understand what are the tasks that are absolutely essential for us to carry out, and what are the biggest risks for us not being able to carry those things out, and I think that's part of why you know as you were saying the responsibilities of an individual versus a hospital versus a government differ, right? And so, a hospital's role is to care for patients and to do so you know as as, as fully as possible, but. The hospitals, you know, it it doesn't necessarily fall fall into the hospital's, you know, identity quite the same way as it falls into the government's identity to be prepared for a crisis, right? We should all be prepared for some level of crisis, but there are some, you know, 100 year crises that will crop up that, that no matter how anti fragile we are, we, we may not be able to sort of weather quite the way that we would want to. But in some ways, you know, there are different parts of society that, that sort of take on that role of, you know, my role is to prepare for the hundred year crisis. Whereas, you know, maybe, maybe the individual down the street, you know, their role is to just make sure that like they can keep taking care of, you know, their, their mother who's living in home with them, right? And making yeah. sure that, you know, they have all of the supplies that they need and stocking up on those to make sure that if something were to happen to interrupt that supply, that they're able to To maintain this, so so there's this deep sense of like knowing who we are, knowing what we're about, knowing what sorts of things we need to to uh, to bring about in the world, and then and then applying both of these principles so that we're both reducing the waste that prevents us from achieving those things, but also building up the redundancies that prevent that from being in jeopardy when something totally unexpected happens.
0: Yeah, this is great. See, you going back to the keys example, you might think in a lean mentality that having extra extra, you know, a key is is just waste but not through the lean understanding. If you go know to the principles, I'll try to share with you guys the actual seven criteria of waste of Toyota. It's great. It's brilliant. But that actually wouldn't be. It'd actually be a perfect plan of how to reduce waste because <laughs> as Stephen, you mentioned that if you lose your keys, you might be spending an hour, two hours, three hours getting in. That's a waste. We wouldn't do it, it would take five seconds to grab the key out of the spare in the garage? You know, Shh, don't tell anybody where your key's at, <laughs> right? It's secret. So I'll give, you, I'll give you another example, right? So we got a Nest doorbell like two years ago. And I'm so thankful for this now, Stephen. I mean, now that we can't even, I don't want to open the door. I'm like, hey, leave it there, right? Uh, I'm so thankful we got for this. But here's, here's where I think um, it was beneficial for us. It really did reduce waste. So about two years ago, yep, about two years ago, my wife uh, brought the kids in. At this time, our youngest was just an infant in a car seat. Uh, our our oldest was three. Our middle was two. And she brought them in, and ran back outside quickly to grab in the car. And my oldest three year old locked all the doors. So now she's stuck outside, and her cell phones inside. <laughs> oh so God. she has no cell phone, no keys, and my wife was just truly panicked. Um, and it, she could just hear our infant just screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming. And of course, that mother instinct of like hearing your child scream, but you can't, I mean, that's like probably, probably a mother's worst nightmare um, to have no ability to soothe her baby. And so she kept ringing the doorbell. I was at work and I kept getting notification. The doorbell's ringing. I'm like, what is going on? And so I pick it up on the phone and here's my wife panicked, right? Um, and and it was so great to be able to come on and be able to be with her in that moment and then calm her down and and create a strategy plan because she was getting so worked up that our, our uh, three-year-old uh, was starting to look at her through the window um, and started to back up and started to get a little kind of shut down himself, right? He was getting scared. And then all of a sudden I also had the idea because I was a little more rude, rude, like, oh yeah, calm him down and see if he'll come to the window and oh, unlock the window because he knows how to do that. And luckily we were able to work together and what would have been hours of work in 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 5 minutes we're all done everything's good right these things can really help change the course that's that's a big insurance policy you know, that'd be that'd be almost like the analogy of what i in my opinion a government assistance like helping in a time and my last thing i say about this is i get it i get it man we're americans we do this stuff ourselves right we're all like ourselves but guess what there are actually things in the world that are bigger than us there are actually things that happen that are bigger than us and i really there i, I you know I, I, it's so hard for me to say this, but sometimes, oh, we need help. We really do need help from other people. And uh, not all the time. I'm not trying to say that the government should just spoon feed everyone and it's everybody just, can sit there and watch their TV. That's not what we're advocating <laughs> at all. We're just saying, man, uh, we, we, at times like this, at least I'm awakened to the fact that. Um, I'm so thankful for a government entity to help those who are desperately in need. Now, how it's administered, oh, that is a huge debate, right? How it's done, how we can help, how we can make sure that the economy gets back and rolling. There is room for discussion all over the place for that. But the fact of the matter is we have some place to help us, right? So I want to end on that. I want to encourage you guys right now to think about how you can lean up your life um, mental waste. Now, again, go back to livingthereal.com. dot com. This is something that I would invest a lot of time in. I've loved this principle of lean. I really believe. I really believe to be fulfilled, you have to be lean and physically. Trust me, I know this because I need to go on a diet. So physically, you need to be lean, but as well as mentally, right? Mentally and psycholo- psychologically, uh, in your own house. I mean, how many of you? When it, just yesterday, our house was an absolute pit. I mean, our our boys destroyed our entire house. There was not anything I could even step on without slipping and destroying myself and falling on my on my face. And and even the boys were just totally stressed out. We realized that it was it was really because the whole place was just a pit. Toys were strung out. As soon as things got cleaned up and reduced to the waste level of the floor, they behaved better. It's amazing just by these simple things of reducing this, this kind of clutter can make you feel like you can breathe. If I just clean your house, all of a sudden you feel like your life is in control again. Right? How can we shore up our lives to bring more, lean up, get rid of the waste? And I do believe waste is bad, but the, but the problem is, I was going to lend on this, waste is bad, but here's the deal. Don't just sit here and try to reduce everything and get rid of all the waste, and that's it. Because here's the most important aspect: you reduce the waste that's ineffective, so that you can waste intentionally. One of the greatest things I heard from someone one time is that the highest call of love is to waste time on another. Now I know I know that evokes emotion. People are like, "What are you talking about? Waste time on emotion?" Don't necessarily say that to your spouse. Like, "Oh, I just want to waste time with you." Don't do that. Uh, trust me on that. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you, but you in your in your mind, you want to have that idea because what does that mean to waste time on another? It means. You have no desire whatsoever to do something that they're doing, right? But you do it anyway. Now, do it anyway, not begrudgingly, like, oh, go, right? But you go enthusiastically because that thing is important to them and you're not interested at all, right? That is love, right? To really be able to love what they love, And and you have no interest in it. Wasting time on another. So here's the problem. My theory is that we do not waste time on other people in love because we're too much wasting things, our life away on things that are unnecessary. So shore up the waste, get rid of it, the psychological, emotional, physical, financial, and reallocate that to really important waste in your life. Even businesses need to apply this. Get rid of the waste, but don't be some efficient automaton, right? So that you can waste more efficiently on your customers you like writing hand letters to thank them. Hand letters, maybe with something that they like, right? Know them. That's a waste that takes tons of time. But man, that'll rebound greatly in your in your business, right? So shore up the waste and then reallocate that waste to something that's meaningful. All right, guys. It's so good to chat with you guys. Uh, good to see you, Stephen. Love yeah. hanging with you. Great to see and, you too. All right, guys. Uh, a few more things. If you want to reach out to, to Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-S-S-L-E-R on Twitter, uh, Pandemic Cast on Twitter. Still haven't got our, our Facebook page up, but I'll do that as soon as I can. M A T T B O E T T G E R at Twitter for me. LivingTheReal.com. Go there, sign up for the newsletter. You get more stuff on lean, how to live a fulfilled life, uh, really living the art of being human, both in science and art. Um, and then Patreon.com uh, Pandemic Podcast. If you can please give as small well as $5 a month. If a one time gift, uh, M A T T B O E T T G E R, Matt Botker on Venmo or paypal.me slash mattbotker to give a one-time gift that will go towards our podcast. Thank you so, so much for listening, and we'll see you on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.